Hey there, I'm Kathy Cooper, and this is Loss and Found, where every loss matters, and through every loss, something can be found. Thank you so much for tuning in today, Loss. Loss and Found, it's an hour about life. Um, I try to really look at it from the perspective of loss, which I believe adds a deeper dimension to um, to what we walk um, in this life. And, and I view Loss and Found to be about self-discovery, about finding that something in your loss. That moment when you say, oh, I get it now. Now it makes sense. Now I'm at a point where I, I want to be. Now I'm at a point where I can look back and say, oh, I've walked through this loss in a way that I never thought I would. And maybe on a, you're on a different plane than what you thought you were. And, you know, once you have that something, it's really about embracing that so it can bring you to that higher level of being. We all strive to be the best that, that we can be, right? Um, you know, hopefully it brings more meaning to our lives. Maybe we're more loving. Maybe we're more kind, more caring towards ourselves, towards others. You know, whatever that more is that you want to be, that's what I hope um, as you listen to, to the show and um, hear the guests that come on and really hear what they have to say about their losses and what was found in them, that that, that inspires you and that helps you see uh, what what's in your loss. And by the end of the hour, you know, I hope that, that as a listener, you walk away with a, a greater insight into loss in general and, and a greater understanding of how it can shape you and a greater comfort level in talking about loss. It's so difficult in our country for folks to talk about the losses that they've experienced. You know, we always have to put on our face and pull up our bootstraps and pretend that nothing happens and I think it's just really important that there is this hour where folks can come and r- embrace what they're thinking and feeling and um, hopefully feel that they're validated in that. And I also really strive to help folks know how to support someone else who is grieving. So all of those things um, is what I hope to accomplish each hour and all of it within, you know, smiles and laughs throughout the hour Humor is so important, and even in our darkest times, if we can find something to smile at, that can help ease the pain. I want to thank you for sharing the hour with me last week. I I hope you enjoyed the readings. I I received a a few emails of some folks that did like it and wanted to, uh, to know a little bit more about the books that I was reading. So please download it as a podcast so you can listen to it when you need a bit of encouragement um, the Fight On seemed to have been a popular book that is by M, as in Mary, H. Clark. And that seemed to be one that, that folks really resonated with. So I'm, I'm really glad about that. And, and I think it just is really important, all of those books that I read, whether it was, you know, the many places you can go. You know, I love that because it shows all of the many rooms that we step into as adults and all of the... Um, emotions and feelings that that we can have in our waiting place and in um, the excitement of of new beginnings and things. So just just know that, you know, if you need a reminder to love yourself and to accept your imperfections and you're just needing some encouragement, that's what last week was meant to be. So um, I do encourage you to download it. Um, When you get a chance, you can do that at uh, uh, 1150kknw.com. You can do that wherever you would download your podcasts. It is out there. So, so take, a, take a moment and, and do that. Uh, so when you do need some encouragement, you just pop that on and there you have it. All right, let me ask you a question. 
What's the difference between something being tragic and the same thing being inspiring? Have you ever looked at a loss or someone's circumstances and, and thought to yourself, boy, that is tragic. Those are tragic events. Or maybe you've looked at the same loss and or circumstances and thought, wow, how that person is, is handling that is really inspiring. You know, what is the difference? Does it depend upon the type of loss? Does it depend upon the outcome of the loss? Does it depend upon how the person is navigating the loss? And how can two people look at the same event and see it in two different ways? One may see it may see it as being tragic. One may see it as inspiring. Um, you know, and it, is it a matter of attitude? Is it someone's perspective? Is it our personality, or is it something else? Let me ask you another question. How do you reconcile loss after loss after loss and not think of your life as tragic? Do you think that we start out looking at loss as tragic and then, I don't know, as time passes, do we begin to find something in that loss um, and then it switches to becoming inspiring? Can we be inspired by our own losses and our experiences or are we mainly inspired by others' losses and their experiences? You know, I don't know. And that's why I'm excited for my guest today. She has experienced events that most of us um, would call tragic, yet she is really encouraging us to look at them as inspiring. I, I have with me today Sohela Adelapur. She is the author of Dancing in the Darkest Light, and she fleed persecution during Iran's religious revolution and settled in New York, and she's experienced deep personal losses, and I I won't be more specific on that because I want to be able to have a conversation with her about them um, without kind of giving away everything. So, um, Sahela, thank you for joining me today and for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Hello, everyone. Hi. I really um, I appreciate your book. I the reason I started talking a little bit about you know what is tragic and what is in, what is inspiring is obviously because of that that um, the the first chapter the preface that that you're writing in your book um, I found that to just be as soon as I was reading that you, well you tell folks why you wrote the book I don't need to speak for you you're my guest <laughs> <laughs> sorry I um, I broke the book uh, because first of all I promised my brother while he was in the hospital, my younger brother, that when he would go home and he had leukemia, we're going to write a book together because he had many, many miracles that the physicians have no answers to and many downfalls. So everybody said, this is strange. We have never seen it. So I told my brother, you know, we should write a book together. And he kept on saying, whenever I go home, we're going to write the book together. So Mm. it felt like a promise that I had made to my brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, it was very, very difficult for me to go through all those tragedies one after the other, but I always, when something is difficult for me, I always uh, imagine myself in my deathbed, of course, hopefully not young, with, I have long black hair, hopefully Mm -hmm. with long white hair. I imagine myself in deathbed, and I imagine how sorry would I be then, which there is no point of no return, 
that I had a chance to do something now and I didn't do it. And at that point, I have no chance of doing it. Uh, and I mm-hmm. really imagined it. And I thought I would be very sorry that I didn't do it. And I decided that no matter what it takes, because I've never written anything in my life, I would do it. So I took a couple of creative uh, writing classes and started writing from my heart. And so far, so good. The reviews are great, and people people are not actually criticizing my writing. So, <laughs> so. you know, <laughs> so I, far, so good. I found the I found the book to to be um, well. Okay, so it, it's an easy read in the sense of um, you can pick it up, and um, I you can really relate to what what you're saying. I, I feel like you really express yourself well. And I love some of the things, the way that, that you write. And I love that there's a quote at the beginning of each chapter. I think, I love this I think yeah. that is, that is really catchy to me. I'm a quote person. And I think that, that that was, was really, um, is a really nice way to, to begin each of Thank the chapters. Um, and I, and so, you know, it, what you're saying in, in the, um, the preface is, you know, you want to help people not look at your experiences as tragic, but to see them as inspiring. Yeah. And how... The, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I, I, you, I just want to say... I th- was... Yeah, yeah I, I, well, I'm going to say this, because, and I say it every time. When I'm not in front of someone, you may find that I interrupt you, because pauses to me mean it's time for Kathy to talk. So yeah. I will try to be more patient with pauses, <laughs> yeah. and we yeah, will... Uh, because I just did that now. Yes, I know. So I you go. You go ahead. We're good. Yeah, the, the, honestly, it's, and it's a true story. I was in Rome for a Jewish high holiday about five years ago. And the gentleman sitting next to me, uh, we say bracha, uh, the prayers, the proper prayers for each piece of um, food that we take. And the gentleman next to me kept on asking me, why don't you say the prayers? And I said, you know, something has happened, and I don't have a good relationship with God at this moment. We're not in good terms. And he said, what happened? And I said, well, tonight is not the night to, uh, you know, talk about a Stephen King horror story and he insisted and finally i told him you know i have lost my young sister to a horrible horrible death and the same year i lost my brother which was a neurosurgeon even i i don't know which one was worse but honestly a very long and painful Mm -hmm. and difficult process of dying if i could say so and he he became quiet he looked at he looked at his food. He took a couple of, you know, uh, from his red wine. And then after like two minutes, he looked at me as if he had found an answer to what I just said. He looked at me and with that Italian accent, he said, you know, I understand. Losing siblings is very difficult. I get it. But I promise you, you're going to get over it. Uh, but I've heard that uh, what's very difficult and it's, life will never be the same is when you lose a child. That is the end of it. And mm-hmm. I looked at him and I said, well, I'm sorry, but I forgot to tell you that I've lost my 22-year-old son in a fire accident as well. And when I saw the horror on his face, when I saw his pale face, I realized that my story has become a horror story. My story has become a story that people become speechless when they hear it. 
Mm-hmm. So right there and then, I decided, you know something? I don't want to be that story. And if, if I'm blue, which I was blue, if I just fly a little bit and add color yellow to it, it has no choice but to turn into green. No choice. The base color would still be blue. By adding a little bit of yellow, color of light, color of sun, it will be green. And when people look at me, they don't see blue anymore. And they will see green. So that night was a turning point for me. That I don't want to be, that is not my story. And I don't want that to identify me. I have to change my story. And that was actually another push for me to go on about writing my book. And making it not a tragic story but a story that could be inspirational. So when people look at me, they think, okay, if she can go on about her life like this, then maybe I can reevaluate my problem. Yes. Maybe I can give it another color. That's basically what happened. I like that, giving it another color. So when, you, so when that gentleman, when you saw the response of that gentleman, that's when it hit you just how profound your experiences were and yeah. how people would, would view them. And you wanted to, to kind of change the tune of that. You wanted folks to, to not see tragedy, but to see inspiration. So, so exactly. with, yes, which I think, I think that's something that's, that's quite difficult to do, you know, is to, to change because it seems to me you would have had to have changed within yourself. Is that correct? To change the that writing? The answer is actually change. The answer is the word change. It's, it's a very, very small word. It's a word that we use almost every day. But then again, small keys can open large doors. And the answer to everything is to change accordingly. I knew my life was not the life that I had before. I knew that it changed. Everybody changed. Everything changed. Mm-hmm. My other three kids were you know, not the same people anymore. My household was not the same house. I was not the same person. Everything has changed, so I had to change with it. I couldn't have had the same uh, frame of thought and go on living. I had to change. And if I can say a story that, to me, honestly speaks volume, is that lobsters, when they're born, they're just a the, the lobster inside the, inside of the shell is fit perfectly. And after a while, the lobster inside grows, but the shell stays the same size. So the lobster is uncomfortable, and the environment is tight. The lobster is in pain. So what does the lobster do? It goes under a rock, comes out of the shell, either creates another shell for itself. And I've heard that also they recycle. They take another shell for another lobster that fits them perfectly, and then they come out. And after a while, it happens again, and the lobster goes under the rock and comes out and changes the shell because it's uncomfortable and it's in pain. But the moral of the story is that if there was a clinic for lobsters under the water, they would have given them antidepressants or Xanax (laughs) or whatever medication that it would, you know, the doctor would Mm -hmm. recommend, and he would give it to the lobster and say, listen, take this. You wouldn't feel a thing. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Just take the medication. The lobster, after taking the medication, would still be in pain. The space is still tight for him and uncomfortable. It's just that it's so drugged out that they cannot figure out what is it exactly that's bothering him. Mm -hmm. So he would be able to take care of the problem. 
because his brain is not working properly, because it's drugged out. The point of the story is that you have to change accordingly. And I tried to change. I tried to change. I took classes. I read books. I talked to teachers. Um, you know, whatever it took, whatever it took, I did. So I could do, I could change to be a different person because the circumstances and the situations weren't as before, just like the lobster. The, the answer is change. And what I love about that, in my mind, is when you were talking, I was envisioning as as a lobster, the one that is uncomfortable and going through pain, as you shed your shell, some other yeah. lobster that is watching you shed that and see and have that relief, that was an inspiration for them to to, to shed their shell. That's how, yeah, exactly. when you were going with that, that's how I was, was seeing that. and. Yeah. Um, I like that. So it's so uncomfortable that eventually you have to do something. It, it sounds like you're saying you, you got so something. uncomfortable. Or you can be drugged out for the rest of your life. Yes. Or drink alcohol for the rest of your life. But I had three other kids, and that was not a choice for me. Yes. I had to be there for them. I had to be a role model for them. What, but what after is... that story, where I where I read this story, I could, I, since then I haven't had one lobster. <laughs> you haven't, <laughs> I haven't I had a lobster. lobster but <laughs> Can't have lobsters anymore. The downside, <laughs> the downside of that story. None of us will eat lobsters again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what is the the span of the the losses that that you experienced? Um, how many years um, was was going on through that? Um, I know, and and I, I'm let, let's and let me just be more specific. Let's start. So yeah. everything was changing when you were back in Iran. Um, and give a little history of that just for, for folks to know of why you came over here, kind of what that was like, because that was the beginning of great loss in itself. I mean, yeah. I don't want to speak for you, but, you know, you're losing your country. You're losing everything you've ever known. You're coming to a new world, a new country where it's like what is going on and in the circumstances that you entered with there. Give a little synopsis of that, if you would. Yeah, I was 18 years old in um, 1979 when the revolution in Iran happened. And Khomeini, uh, Shah left, and Khomeini came, and it was not that it was a very scary place to live because the fanatics were enforcing their laws on everybody. I couldn't walk in the street the way I used to with my jeans or my shirt or my skirt. My hair had to be covered. People would attack me because I was still dressing up the way I wanted to, and plus the fact that uh, I, I come from a Jewish family, and we were scared that these Muslims are going to do the same thing that Hitler did yeah. in World War II to, to do. So we fled the country, basically. We, we locked our house, and each one of us took one luggage, and we left. So we I don't even have my pictures. I wish I had at least taken my pictures. I don't even have pictures from my childhood. Uh, and we left the country, and we came to the United States um, with a little money, my father had lost his role in life. My mother was still doing the same thing, the housekeeping. So she was not in such a bad shape. But my father was definitely suffering a lot because uh, he had lost his identity, mm-hmm. not t- talking about the money, the house, the car, and everything else. I think most important was his identity. And we all started from zero. We were all living in a small apartment in Starsdale, north of New York. Because my sister, my oldest sister, came to New York with her husband before us. So this was, at least in New York, we knew somebody. 
Yes. So we ended up in New York, and each one of us started working to do to collect as much money as possible. And we went on living because we were happy that we were safe in the land of opportunity. And, uh, you know, there was not a scary aloha cars on the rooftop or anybody just for fun, or, you know, with the gun walking around in the street and shooting people. It wasn't any of that. So we were happy. We were not complaining about it. And then life goes on and we get married. And my younger brother, which my, uh, the fifth one in the family, which was at the time when he came here, he was 12 or 13 years old. He goes to medical school. And he becomes a neurosurgeon. I get married. I have four kids. My sisters, they all married and with their jobs or no jobs and children. Normal life with normal problems. We all had our, you know, heartbreaks in life, our challenges in life, but the ones that we could handle. Yes. The ones that, you know, you could handle. Not something so tragic. Until uh, February 24th of 2007 that I was... Uh, because of the Washington, this was the presidential weekend, I think. I was skiing uh, with my two youngest ones. Uh, Jordan was eight and Cammy was 15. And when I flew back to the United States in the, at the airport, I found out that my 22-year-old son, because of a fire in his building at Boston University, three months before his graduation, had died in the fire. Yes, and I, I know... And, um, that chapter, that when you're describing that, I know for folks that will be reading that, especially if they have lost a child, they're really going to resonate um, with the way that, you know, your your reaction and um, that numbness and, and that uh, the way that you describe how you felt and what you were feeling um, and thinking is, is really, I think, a, a, I'm glad that you got specific about that because I think that'll resonate with people that um, have experienced that type of loss. And I think that's going to, yeah, I think that'll resonate with them and and encourage them a little bit. Um, I just want to say that um, this is Lost and Found, and we're speaking with um, Sohaila Adelapur. She is the author of Dancing to the Darkest Light, and it is about the many losses that she has experienced in her life and how she's wanting folks to... um, to kind of share the story and see how it can be something inspiring and, and make meaning. It sounds like you're wanting folks to, to have, be an example of that you can make meaning and find something in, in these losses. And I know with your son, um, I'm sure that still hurts tremendously, you know, now every day. You started a, a foundation. Um, talk a little bit about that. I started a foundation three weeks after I lost my son. Not, uh, and I'm being very honest about that, not because I wanted to help anyone. Life was very unfair and cruel to me and my family, so why should I be the nice one, even though I was always nice to anybody? But uh, my son was very ambitious. It was the per- and I wrote it on, it breaks my heart to say it, but I wrote it on his stones that was a perfect son. I have four sons. And my three other sons, they agree with me that he was a perfect son. Uh, he was very, very ambitious, and he couldn't wait to graduate from Boston University to start his own business. And, of course, his life was cut short. And the only way I thought I could keep his name going the way he would have approved of was to create a foundation under his name. And that's the reason I started it. 
That was the reason. But now, for past 12 years, the foundation has helped, I cannot say thousands, but a lot of people, uh, regardless of race, nationality, or religion. And it gives away uh, scholarships, many of them every year. It helps orphanages, hospital wings, people in despair, people that need a break. And it really, really feels wonderful, wonderful that I think, and I always talk to him, I think, oh, you're not here, but look what you're doing with your name. And you just changed their life. Look what you're doing with your name. Yes. You just, you know, created, yeah. made this uh, great student that needed a break in life to go to college. So that's what it does. It's called Stefan, Stefan Adeli Poor for Life Foundation. And I have a fundraising under his name every year on his birthday, which is November 19th in New York most of the time and sometimes in Los Angeles. He but was, sometimes both. I, when, when you describe him in the book, obviously um, he was... He was very caring, you know. He was the one very. that if somebody needed something, they were talking to him, and he yeah. was willing to to help them yeah. out. And I love um, yeah. the journal entry um, that you have in there when he was, you know, uh, what he was overseas, and he was realizing oh, just appreciating appreciating so much what being over there and seeing different people and seeing their struggles. What I was struck by as a young man, you know, in his twenties. He's sensitive enough to realize, look what I have. I have so much. And then mm-hmm. when talking about his his brother, his little brother for the bar mitzvah, is that what it was? What it was about? Yeah, I when think he was that, twelve. Yeah, his, uh, brother bar mitzvah when he was thirteen. Yeah, he wrote. Yeah. yeah. So it was just when I was reading that, and then to and and I love that your honesty about starting the foundation. You just wanted to do it because you wanted his name to be out there. And that's look at all the I care. and you know and and look at the good that and that's that's what I love is sometimes you know when when we do stuff it may not be for like the the extra part of oh I'm going to help people but that's okay because look at what has come of it and now. Mm-hmm. You know all of all of the ways that he has continued to help people in his yeah. death, and he still does. That yeah. that's and what's profound, does. and I I always you yeah. know you made meaning of his life in that way. You took it sounds like to me by reading the book, the essence of him, which was giving, and starting this foundation. I in my mind is like that's just really his memory. His he is living on through the giving that he that he did yeah. when he was here on earth. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. I think that's very powerful. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah, I, I really was touched by what kind of a guy he it was. was an act, it was an act of desperation at a time uh, because I didn't want anybody to forget about my son. It was, as I said, selfish and an act of desperation. But because of the fundraising, all his friends get together at his fundraising. They all, at least once a year they get together. I do a huge one and Justin, my oldest son that was a year and a half older than Stefan would do one for his age group like a night of a bowling night or a oh, yeah, yeah. Night. so that's kind of a fun night so because of that they still get together and they all come from all over to see each other again which is which is very it is sad I'm not going to say that it's not sad when I go there and I see all of them married with children good jobs healthy you know that my son is not there I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm that kind of person that I'm standing there. I'm thinking, oh, these are kids. No, I'm sad throughout the whole night that everybody else is there, but my son is not. Mm-hmm. But, however, it still created some positive energy. It 
still made a difference. Nobody forgets about my son because of this. He's still there. His energy is there. If they are there for him and they're talking about him and they're laughing and they're having fun, his energy is still there. Exactly. You cannot take that away from me or from him. Exactly. Nobody can take away from me. Yes. And I think that's an important part is when someone does die, finding a way to honor him. And that is a time those fundraisers... Yes, you know, good is going to be done, but you are. And I, 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 I'm one that would believe that his spirit is there during that time, definitely. And yeah. um, the love that everyone is feeling and, and it brings people, it, even in his death, he's still connecting people. Yeah. And that sounds yeah. like that's what he did when he was alive. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. You know what? Let's take a let's just take a, a real quick short break and we will be back. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found. We will be back in a couple minutes here. When there is a decline in mental or physical health, what do we do when we must find the best options for our loved ones for their aging in place needs? Who can we turn to when the death of someone close to us leaves us with complex decisions about their property? Real Estate 55 Plus provides expert help with living option details and a wide range of resources, including specialized estate and probate sales of properties that most real estate agents are not experienced in handling. Real Estate 55 Plus are here to help you, freeing you up for the most important thing between you and those close to you, your love. Contact Real Estate 55 Plus today at 1-800-964-1553. That's 1-800-964-1553. What's your story? Have you ever sat with that question and looked to your heart for the answer? It's time to explore the real you. Tune in Thursdays from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. for the brand new show, Story You, with Coach Debbie. Debbie and her guests have a mission to inspire and coach you to find your voice. If you need direction, Story You with Coach Debbie is for you. If you want to be an author, Story You with Coach Debbie is for you. Tune in Thursdays at 4 p.m. and be inspired. We all value our independence. This is why we want the best care and living situation for our loved ones. Talk to Kelly of Care Partners Living. Discover their unmitigated specialized memory care, Medicaid spend downs that no one else offers, and the best affordable housing that works with you to care for your loved one, preserving their dignity and fullest possible independence. Care Partners Living, valuing independence and care for all. Contact Kelly today at 425-931-2951 or visit carepartnersliving.com. Broaden your horizons. You'll be amazed at all the topics we cover on Alternative Talk 1150. And we are back. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found. Um, we are having a, a conversation today with Sohela Adelapore, um, author of Dancing to the Darkest Light. A lot of she had a lot of loss. You've experienced a lot of loss. And we were before the break. We were talking a little bit about your son and his death, and then the foundation that you have um, that you created to in his honor and. And I love the reason just because you wanted his name to still be out there and then just how that has evolved into something that is really touching people's lives and honoring him. And um, obviously, I, I believe that type of thing. His spirit is still still around and it is him that is touching the lives of people. Um, and I just just real quick, because I think this is something that a lot of uh, married couples can experience is when someone when they lose a child, you know, grieving can be very different. Um, it sounds like you and your husband were grieving a little differently in how you handled this process. Is that correct? 
Yes, uh, unfortunately, it, it, we did handle it very differently. And to this day, it's very painful. I'm not saying it's easy, and I have accepted it so easily. But when I heard the news, uh, of course, the reaction, I don't even have to explain it to anybody. The reaction is obvious. But after about 10 minutes, when I turned around and I looked at the faces of my three kids that were there, the devastation on their faces, you know, I realized that I should live now for the whys in my life, not the why not. These are the whys that they have stayed with me. They are with me. So I should really pay attention and take care of them, no matter how difficult it could be for me. So, you know, I talked to them. I, I, uh, we talk about Stefan all the time. We started, you know, ordering his favorite food or we played his favorite music. And we, I started wearing his shirt. But my husband, on the other hand, my husband treated it as if it did not exist. He doesn't mention my son's name. He, he, I have the foundation every year. He does not get involved at all. He comes as a guest and he goes because maybe he cannot handle it. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the beginning, it was very difficult because I had three kids, three different ages. One was 23, one was 15, and one was 8. That I had to make sure that this is not going to damage them for the rest of their life and be a role model. Mm -hmm. And I had to do it by myself. It was, as I read somewhere, it was like, having a table with tons of plates and food on it with only three legs and one leg missing. It was a juggling act and balancing act all day long, considering that I was suffering myself. Exactly. My husband uh, did not get involved in any of any of it. And I accepted it that this is the way he wants or he can handle the situation. Mm-hmm. Now I know that 90% of the marriages after losing a child ends up in divorce yes. because the tolerance level is very low. And mm-hmm. these things happen, such as what happened between me and my husband. But I had promised again, it was a choice that I made. It was a conscious choice that I made. I promised myself that I'm not going to rely on somebody else to fix or explain the situation to me. I'm going to do it my, by myself because there is no other choice. And I had to do it for my kids. So that, I accepted the fact that my husband is not part of this mm-hmm. situation. And I had to do everything myself. And I, lo- I did. And to yeah. this day, I am. Yes. And, and, and to this day, I am. I, I, I love how you said the whys in my life. You know, that you looked around and you saw them and and that's what's so difficult as a parent you're grieving but yet you have to be still there for those kids and as you were saying to try to make their lives somewhat normal still and to go through their processes and let them you know still be kids and enjoy things and and all that it's very very difficult I I salute you I mean just the way you're talking about it you can tell that that it was difficult It, it sounds like that you you came through you were it sounds like you were very successful in being able to do that and having to make a choice yeah. and how difficult yeah, that choice are, was. Thank God, yeah. My kids are very balanced kids, thank God. Yeah. And uh, we talk about it all the time, all the time, as if he's around, and we have accepted it. Mm-hmm. That the, and we have accepted my husband's approach to the situation as, you know. As, yes, as that's his way. That is his way. And it is what it is. Yes. Yeah, that, that's his way. Yes. But, Kathy, do I have, like, 
two minutes to say a story that I think would resonate. Please. I, I, I love stories. I love stories. Yes, please do. In 1911, Mona Lisa, the painting Mona Lisa, was stolen from the Louvre. Basically, an Italian uh, worker that was mopping the floor looked at the masterpiece and he thought, it's an Italian masterpiece. What is it doing at the Louvre? So what he did is took the painting off the wall, put it under his robe, and left the Louvre. For two and a half years that the painting was missing, more people came to the Louvre to look at the bare wall and shake their heads in regret than all those previous years that Mona Lisa was hanging on the wall. And that just shows you that human beings are, you know, and as Anne Frank said, uh, dead people receive more flowers than living ones because regret is more powerful than gratitude. It just tells you that once we have something, we don't appreciate it. Yes. And the moment it's not there, we are sorry that we did not appreciate it or we did not look at it more and we were not there for it. And we look at the bare wall. Now, every morning that I wake up, I understand the, the one of my walls, the painting, my masterpiece is missing. It's a fact. Every morning that I wake up, it's a fact of my life. However, Kathy, I refuse to stand there and look at the bare wall and just shake my head. I make an effort to turn around. There are three other walls. There are always mm. four walls. Yeah. And I look at the masterpieces that are hanging on the rest of the wall. And I pay attention to those, as, as I told you, to the whys in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I think it was Nisha who said, if you have a why to live for, you will bear with any house. And wow. it's, that's, that's how I look at my life. So there's no question that the wall is missing the masterpiece. But there are still other walls with masterpieces hanging. And I try to focus on those. And basically that's how I've been, I, I have been conducting my life since so, 2007. So I can hear a listener out there saying how... Did you get to the point of seeing the other three walls and not just looking at the missing masterpiece? It's, uh, as I said in my book, um, my, uh, my teacher told me once that uh, life has put pressures on you and your spirit and your soul has cracked because of the pressure of life. Now you have two choices. Either you can look at those crooked, brown, ugly line, or you can notice the light that is able to shine through those cracks. Hmm. There are two ways of looking at these things. And I was tired, Kathy, to look at the bare wall and shake my head in regret. I was tired of doing that. It, I couldn't have gone living like that. Mm-hmm. And I decided one day, I, one, one morning I woke up and I decided, you know, I know, I understand that wall is there but there's still three other walls with masterpieces hanging on them. Because I didn't want to be a horror story. I didn't want to be identified as the, the tragedy that has happened to me and my family. When something happens, there's, you know, you can either react or you can respond. You know, I wait until I respond now. I don't react right away. I, I wait until I choose my response. That's how I, that's how I go about it. Because it is so difficult. It is so every day such a big challenge to just go about everyday life, especially holidays. 
two weeks ago that was the New Year's. Yes. It, it's the worst time. The, the big days are the worst time. The high holidays are the worst time. I just want to go under my blanket and don't see anybody. But I still have three other kids, so I go on about life. Mm-hmm. And I put my best face on, and I go on. I, I put my shining armor, and I just go on as if I'm going to a battlefield. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. But the other choice is to gradually die. I choose life. I choose, honestly, I choose life. I refuse to gradually die. I don't think my son wants that for me. I don't think any any son or daughter wants that for their parents if they're on the other side. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. They're happier if they see them happy. And I think you, by the way you talk about your, your sister and, and your brother, their deaths, I think yeah. they would be in that as well. I think the three of them would be standing and saying, you know, we're glad you're choosing the route that you're choosing. You're walking the path that you are in the loss of them because you were, you were, um, you were very close to, um, to Zora. Is that how you say her name? I'm sorry. Zora. Yeah. Zara. And my brother. Yes. We're yes. very close to family. Very close to family. So, um, the fact that, and especially with your brother, with the way he died so quickly after remission, right? And then you all are excited yeah. and, um, and then his death, um, you know, that when I was reading, I was, that was shocking to me. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. Um, and so, and I think, I think, um, I, I think that what I, what I take away from, from this book is when I'm reading it is the fact that you, you shared great love, which obviously brought great pain. But because of that, great living can occur. I love, I mean, the dancing into the darkness, you talk that you're a dancer. Does that have anything to do with the title? You know, the way that, that you, um, by heritage, it sounds like, um, you know, the dancing and, and that is, is important in your, your culture, but, and you talk a lot about how you love to dance. Does that have anything to do with the, the title? I love to dance. I love dancing, any music. I'm always on the dance floor, but I realized when I changed the title of the book to Dancing, Dancing to the Darkest Light because I realized it, wasn't, it was nothing personal. I wanted to call the book Wrestling with God, but there was no wrestling. It's just that life plays different tunes, and the best you can do is that dance to whatever tune the life is playing because then it looks like life is not forcing anything on you. You are dancing to the music that life is playing. It's very different than you think it's personal and life is doing it personally to you. I don't know how many of the audience, the listeners, have seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof. But actually then, uh, Kivya, that is talking, he's always talking to God. He puts his head up and talks to God all the time during the movie. And then at one point he said, which I wrote in the book, he says, I know we're chosen people as Jews. But could you please once in a while choose somebody else because life was so uncertain? And at that point, the, the fiddler that was playing his violin on the roof, he, he started, he came down from the roof and he started playing the violin. Now, Tibia stared at him and started dancing behind the violin player as he changed his tune and started uh, walking away. 
And he started dancing to that tune. And I thought, listen, my idea of dancing to the darkest light is not so original. This movie is mm. exactly doing that. Mm-hmm. He exactly did that. Whatever uh, music the violin player, the fiddler was playing, he danced to it. He danced to it. And that's the way to do it. It's, it's just like the wind. The wind, is, imagine a very strong wind. If the tree stands up straight and do not bend a little bit like a palm tree, for sure it's going to break. Not this storm, the next storm. For sure it's going to break. Half of the tree is going to come down. The whole tree is going to come down. But it, but a tree like a palm tree that knows how to move exactly to the, the, the way wind is going is the one that never breaks. Or even the small grass. After a wind, not only there is no damage done to the grass, but it's even cleaner than before. It's like all the extra things are out of the grass. It's just that when it's needed, you have to be liquid. You have to change accordingly. You have to, if, and if, you, if you're able to change, then any maneuver, any curveball, anything that happens in life, you're able to go accordingly. I know it sounds like a cliche. I know that it sounds like, oh, maybe it's easy for you to do it. But I have, after losing three dear people in very short time in my life, I realized there is no other way. If I want to go on living, which I not, killing suicide is not an option, mm-hmm. then I might as well change. Then I might as well do what life expects me to do. Not that what I expected from life, because life is not listening to me. We're 7 billion people. Who am I? Take the camera back from the earth. We're just an ant colony. We take ourselves very seriously, but there's 7 billion of us. Now, yes. how many billions are gone? God knows. But we're, we're, we cannot expect anything from life. Life is expecting us to respond to what she does. It is what it is. We might as well make the best of it. And again, live, live for the whys in our life, not the why not. Wow. Um, I personally refuse to I personally refuse to act like a victim or break in that storm or in that wind. I don't want to do that. I'd rather bend as much as I can mm-hmm. bend and then let the storm pass. And that I don't ju- think- just put into perspective so much that that was profound, all that you just said right there. And um, as I am remembering the beginning of the book is when you, you're talking about that world-famous violinist and how... It's a problem, yeah. Yes, problem. and then the the um, the string breaks while he's playing and he has to continue on with what he has and make beautiful music yeah. out of it. That all just... You just brought that all back around for me and closed that loop. That was... That was really good. So, um, yeah, that that philosophy. And I'm assuming that's not how you were so much prior to to these losses. That's kind of what you have found in these losses. That's some of the meaning that you have found. Yes. Before these losses, Kathy, I thought, I'm a good person. My family is a good people. Uh, We have not done anything to hurt anybody. So if we're good people, life is going to be good to us. Honestly, that was my belief. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's not like that. Life has other plans. It's not personal. It just, it is what it is. Such is the nature of life. And if I want to go on living, 
And if I want my children to be normal people when they grow up and not to be negative about life and hate everything that life offers, I had to be this. Kathy, I had to be this. I cannot, I couldn't have let things unravel or, you know, I have three damaged, negative, uh, you know, people that they don't believe in any good. I couldn't have let that happen. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Have. Yeah. So I decided to to live like this. It's it, honestly for everybody, for everybody that's listening. It's not easy, but it's a choice. It's like going to the gym. You go to the gym the first day. Actually, that's the first thing I did. First thing that I did to change my attitude was that I started going to the gym. And it didn't happen until two months. Two months I went to the gym and I came out without working out. It's like going to the gym. You go to the gym, and honestly, and you, you, you work out and you come back and you look at yourself in the mirror. You expect to see a huge difference. But you will not because you have gone only one time. Maybe after three months of hard work, maybe after six months of hard work, you see a difference. And working on yourself after tragedy is exactly that. It doesn't happen overnight. It yeah. doesn't happen over months. It, it's a practice. It's a practice and all depends how much you want it. If you really want it, it's going to happen. Yes. If you, you're not so keen about it, it's not going to happen. No. It, but it, it's just like going to a gym. You have to do it every single day. And remember, this is what you want. This is the result that you want. Mm-hmm. And focus on the result. Would you say you're happy? I have my moments of happiness and I have my moments of sadness. But the minute I go to my moments of sadness, I because I know that the, the end of it is not going to be an easy thing to get out if I stay in there. So the minute I do that, I, it's funny, but I have episodes of episodes of Modern Family or Whose Line Is It Anyway mm-hmm. recorded on my TV. So I watch one of those episodes. I make the music very loud and I start jumping up and down just to create the endorphins that I need to feel better. I force myself. Like, I blast the music even though I'm crying. Yeah. Just to do that because I know that I have to change my emotions so my emotions will be changed as well because it, it, they're very much related. Yes. I force myself because I know the end result is not good if I stay there. Yes. It's, it's, it's constant work, but it could be done. It could be done. And I think that's that's a, an important lesson is, you know, it it's still, you still feel it. You still have to work. We still have to work through our losses. And there are days when it maybe doesn't feel as painful. There may be days when it doesn't, you know, you're not not feeling, and I'm not saying for you in, gen- in particular, but in general, when, when we have losses, there may be days where it's like, wow, I went through the day, and sometimes we feel guilty because we weren't thinking about our loved one, or we're not thinking, exactly. you know, sadness. Exactly. And and it's like, oh, okay, that's, but that's that's a positive, that's a positive sign. And it's um, putting more of those together and, and, and being okay that we can have experiences and feel happy and feel sad and being okay with that. Um, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stand in front of the bare wall yeah. and just 
shake my head. I don't want to do that. That's why I... It's true. See, if you hold your shoulders back and walk around with your neck up, how people react to you is very different than if you slouch your back and put your head down and have a sad face. It is true that your emotions follow your motions. Yeah. So dancing or jumping up and down or going to the gym or watching something funny so it makes you laugh, it does make a difference. It does, it, yes. It definitely does make a difference. It does. Your emotions are changed, like, in a few minutes. I The, the difficult part is doing that. The, the difficult part is that when you're crying, you actually go to your sound system and you slap the music and start jumping up and down or watch a funny thing on TV. That's the difficult part. Yes. But once you start, then it will it will happen. Yeah. All right. We have about three minutes left, so I want to give you an opportunity. How can folks get your book? And if they want to get some information on your foundation, how how do we get your book? Oh, if you go, thank you very very much for saying that. It, my book, Dancing to the Darkest Life, is available on Amazon. But Amazon. On Amazon, it has been sold out three times, and they're not very quick about restocking it. So if you Google it, either my name, Sohela Adelikur, comes up. There's a website that if you order it there, you're going to get it quickly. Uh, so you have these two choices. And on the website, it's a fine copy. Uh, and for my son's foundation, it's called Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N, Adelikur, A-D-E-L-I-T-O-U-R, for Life Foundation. And uh, you can, if anybody wants to give $5, $10, whatever they want, they can just do it online. All right. They, 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 by PayPal, they can pay on PayPal. And, and thank you for like, giving me a chance to mention that. Yes, and the first name is S-O-H-E-I-L-A, last name A-D-E-L-I-P-O-U-R. The title of the book is Dancing to the Darkest Light. Thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom. I I have I have all of these notes. I have so much that I got out of this, and so I really appreciate the time that you that you gave us um, today. And uh, thank maybe you. thank you. Maybe you can come back and share some more wisdom at some point. So people, thank I you. Great, thank you. Um, be gentle with yourself out there, people. All right. Be gentle with others, and remember, as Lao Chu says, new beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found. We'll be back next week. Bye bye. When there is a decline in mental or physical health, what do we do when we must find the best options for our loved ones for their aging in place needs? Who can we turn to when the death of someone close to us leaves us with complex decisions about their property? Real Estate 55 Plus provides expert help with living option details and a wide range of resources, including specialized estate and probate sales of properties that most real estate agents are not experienced in handling. Real Estate 55 Plus are here to help you, freeing you up for the most important thing between you and those close to you, your love. Contact Real Estate 55 Plus today at 1-800-964-1553. That's 1-800-964-1553.